This is an old, old story. And it's so old that the archaeologists can't even find its origin. But it begins in the heart of every one of us who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, that is not just a, an easy thing. It took a lot of planning. It took a lot of lives to get us to where we are today and we can sing this song. You realize that, that God actually focused on you individually, knowing that you would be born and you would be needing salvation. God focused on you by the fact that he sent someone or there was someone in your life or some news that you heard of Jesus Christ. And in his choosing of you, you have become one of his children in the family of God. God knows every one of us. He knows every single human being that ever was born and will be born. And it's in his heart to share that with us as his creation. He desires that we all come to saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. We've been studying the gospel of God concerning Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of God. We don't normally talk that way, but this is what Paul called it. It's God's gospel to the whole world, to all generations. And it's amazing to me, as we have been studying through the book of Romans, that this man Paul, who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, the best of them, had encountered Jesus Christ. And in his encounter, the very first viewing of Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road, the message is, I have many things for you to do. And Paul was called from that point in his life. He was baptized, and he went, and he spent three years in the desert alone with God, trying to understand what God's work was for him in his life. And in doing that, Paul came up with an understanding that there was a big plug, a stopper, a dam, that was holding back the gospel of God. And that happened to be the very people that God had chosen to demonstrate to the world his great love, the Jewish people. And Paul had been a contributor to that dam or that plug. And in encountering Jesus Christ, the lights came on, the knowledge and the understanding of what God's eternal plan was. And so Paul sat down, of course, several years later, and began writing. And he wrote, and he wrote, and he wrote this letter. I don't think any of us have ever received a letter that long or that much impact. I praise God that we have the opportunity to open the book of Romans and understand what God's eternal plan is for every man, woman, and child. We are honored. We are special people by the fact that we have an opportunity 
sitting here listening to the gospel of God so that we're not without excuse. And if we receive and believe, even as Abraham had to believe, we will be saved. And that's the promise that's within this book. I titled this Telling the Truth in Christ because Paul is not just thinking of some thought that he might have, but he's saying, look, I want to share with you what my true heart is for Israel and God's original plan. Let's read that. It's incredible what he says. I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed or separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, that's Israel, who are Israelites to whom belongs the adoption as sons, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, temple service, the promises, whose are the fathers, where the fathers came from, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and from whom is the Christ, the Messiah, according to the flesh, who is overall God-blessed forever. Amen. His life was a prayer, and he saw it as a prayer, laying down his life. Paul was not saying something that was just frivolous. He was saying that I be accursed so that they may be saved. That was his heart. That was his desire. You remember there was somebody else in history that did exactly the same thing. God had chosen Israel and taken them out of Egypt. They were in bondage, but you know, Egypt has been friendly to them in the beginning. But after 400 years, they became slaves to the Egyptians. And God said, it's now time. There is a nation that is born within a nation, and I'm separating them out of Egypt. And he called, it says, he called his son out of Egypt. And so the Israelites left Egypt, but before they left Egypt, the last night that they were in Egypt, there was a spectacular demonstration of what was in God's heart for the salvation of every man, woman, and child. And we even have that mark here in Japan. If you look around with eyes to see, there's red over the top and red down the sides of the doorpost. Have you ever driven by or looked and seen a Shinto shrine? An amazing sign. Somehow that got as far as Japan. That message has not been hindered. Unhindered in coming to a faraway place like Japan. 
But God, in his design and purposes, took Israel out of Egypt with the mark of the blood. You remember the lamb that was slain or the animal that was slain for the sins of Adam and Eve to cover their nakedness and their shame. It's the same mark. It's that same red mark on our lives. I love to tell the story. It's interesting that Paul said in the chapters before that we read, he said, nothing is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. But now he's saying, I could wish that I myself was accursed or separated. That's what was burning in his heart. That's what he caught was God's motive, intention in history. And he was trying to to get his head and his life around this concept and saw that it was bigger than himself. And so he says, I wish that I was accursed or separated from Christ. If Israel, my kinsman, could be redeemed. That's the gospel. And that's what each of us should come to in our hearts of laying down our lives. How many of your relatives, how many of your parents are not believers in Jesus Christ? And without that hope, without that understanding, they're going to be lost and they're going to be separated. Oh, that mom and dad would believe. Or my uncle or my cousin or my friend that I was in Yochen with, that he or she would come to know Jesus Christ as I have come to know him. That should be burning in our hearts as believers. Do we understand what God has in his purposes for us? It's not just my little cozy little life. But because he's God, his vision is so much greater than ours. Far greater. That's why he poured so much of himself into you in presenting to you the gospel of salvation. That's why you're here today. All the effort and all the things that had to come together to bring you here to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ was no just happenstance. Well, they just happened to be walking by and there was this white cross with a blue background and I walked in. It's not an accident you're here. It's not an accident that you've come to know Jesus Christ. That's an eternal plan. And we should have the same awe or the same sense of I need to tell my friends. This old, old story is worth telling. That should grip our hearts. Moses also did this. In Exodus 32, God said he was going to just forsake Israel. And Moses said, no. But now, if you will forgive their sin, if not, if you won't forgive their sin, blot me out of your book. Oh. 
Can you say that about your mom or your dad if they haven't believed? Lord, that they be part in your love and grace. Forgive their sin. Bring them to yourself. That should be the burning desire of our hearts as believers. You know, we think of the Israelites of Israel today. It's in the news almost every day concerning Israel. Well, you know, that little nation over there. If they weren't there, there wouldn't be as much trouble in the world as there is. Why have they survived? Any explanation? Why have they survived? They have rejected God over and over again and would not receive the Messiah when he came. They shouldn't even be around. That miserable nation there causing so much trouble in our world today that we can't even do our commerce or we can't even live in peace with one another. Why? Because I believe that that promise of God is a covenant promise that will not be broken. And God has promised he will have a witness. But those people are not a witness of Jesus Christ. So why do we as Christians even honor them or put up with them? Because our Lord Jesus Christ came from that nation. And God has put his mark on them as a witness to their faithfulness? No. To his faithfulness. To his covenant keeping. That's why the Bible says, pray for Israel that they may be saved. And they are a standing pillar in the midst of nations of God's faithfulness and his promise keeping. Regardless of what you might think or the feelings that you have about Israel, God has a witness there. We should pray for Israel because God's faithfulness needs to be known and understood throughout the generations. Paul says the whole string of things here about the Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons. They're the true sons and they allow us to come in, to be the adopted ones. You know, in Japan, adoption is not a popular thing to do. Well, I am here to proudly say, I'm adopted. I'm adopted. In the movie, the little kid says, I'm adopted? Yes, you're adopted. We're adopted if we're in Jesus Christ. You know what that means? It doesn't mean that that your mom and dad had a baby. They didn't know what he was going to look like. And here you come. They birthed a a son or a daughter. But adoption is much different. Much, much different. You know, as an adopted son, I'm special. I was chosen if you were born of your mother and dad, you weren't chosen. It was just the egg and the, and the sperm that came together. I was chosen. 
And that's the way we are as Gentile Christians. Jewish people, they were born into it. But we're adopted. I love being adopted. So we went ahead and we adopted three kids. The glory, the glory that God has put on us and on Israel. The covenants, the word of God, the giving of the law. The temple service, that the tabernacle speaks of salvation for the whole world. And the promises, the promises, so many of them, that are being fulfilled even before our very eyes these days. And the fathers. We've talked about the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and from whom Christ has come. We need hearts like Paul. But it is not as though, in in verse uh, 6, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For they are not all Israel who descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And God's promise to Abraham was, if he looks up into the skies and sees all the stars, he says, this will be like your descendants. Numerically, has that really happened through Israel? No, it hasn't. If you take how many Israelis that have been born and the descendants, they do not number the number of the stars. So the gospel, as I said and Paul saw, was it was plugged. But where the true gospel came was through faith. It's through faith that we're righteous, considered righteous. And we looked at that in earlier chapters of, of Romans. It's by faith that we have come into salvation. It's not by doing all the laws and this particular way to do it and all of these things. Yes, they all point to the Savior, to the Lamb. But it's in our faith that we are in right standing and that we are descendants and we are truly sons and daughters. And God declares it so. We've asked the question before, how many of you are Jewish? How many of you are God's people? Can you imagine throughout the generations of people who are descendants of Abraham's faith from many, many nations? God is gathering his adopted sons and daughters in Christ Jesus. In Galatians 3.16 Paul makes it very clear that the promise to Abraham was not to the whole nation of Abraham, but to the seed and not the seeds. Isaac is a picture of Jesus Christ, who was of 
the seed and everyone who follows in the train of Abraham's faith to believe God is counted in. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, and the scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many, but, and to your seed, meaning one, who is Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.16 Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Francisco believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Dan believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. You believed and it was counted to you for righteousness. We're in. And in verse 10, it says, And not only this, but there was Rebecca also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, The older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Well, that's not fair. That's not fair. And the question is not whether it's fair or not. The reflection or the insinuation of God is he's not fair. And that's just not true because he is a righteous and just God. So that God's purpose according to his choice would stand not because of works, but because of him who calls. And so it's not based on works, but it's on those who hear his call and respond in their heart and say, I believe. And that's the old, old story we love to hear of Jesus and his love. That's the penetration of the gospel into our hearts and lives. God, in his foreknowledge, knows the choices we will make, but nonetheless, he calls, he seeks an opportunity for those who would come to him, seeks for men to answer that call. But we have been given free will to choose to hear the call of God or not. That's a sad thing to think of, that you share the gospel with your, your mother or your father or your brother or sister or your best friend or your neighbor next door. And they reject it. They can't hear the call. Very sad. That's why we sang, I love to hear the story, the old, old story of Jesus and his love. But you know what? God doesn't give up. God doesn't give up, does he? Let's go. Your mother heard the call. And Mamiko's father 
also. It wasn't too late. Just in the last month, he said, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. And he joined his wife and his daughter and son-in-law. And on his deathbed, he saluted, acknowledging not some military signal, but of, I'm in. And he knew it. And he went to be with Jesus. Just a matter of weeks later. It's never too late. Don't give up. Keep telling the old, old story. And then verse 14. What shall we say then? This is about God's mercy. There is no injustice with God, is there? And Paul says this over and over again in Romans. May it never be. There is no injustice. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. Paul is very interesting in his uh, neshin, zealous, like a bulldog, like a rottweiler. He grabs onto the justice and righteousness of God in salvation. It isn't some cheap thing that you can just sign a card and say, yes, I believe, and send it in, and you're in. No, there's too much at stake in God making righteousness available to us as people. The gospel isn't cheap, folks. It is costing. Not only for Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, but also what it costs for his followers. That we are not selling a cheap gospel. It is something that will cost us something. And Paul was adamant that there is no injustice in God. And that's what he did with all those chapters that we went through from chapters 1 through chapter 6. The main thing that he was concerned about was the holiness and the justice and the rightness of God, the righteousness of God to save some like us or many like us. He did the work legally like an adoption. None of us are adopted unless there's some kind of legal process that happens. How many have been adopted as a child? How many have been adopted? Am I the only one in this room? Wow. Yes. You have been adopted. What legal process did you go through? Nothing? I guess you folks don't know 
this is our grandson, Jim. <laughs> we made a blood sacrifice, no. <laughs> but he came into our family just because he needed a place to land. And we thought, oh, we've got a child in our house, <laughs> another one. And we have enjoyed getting to know him. And we're walking through some situations that are very much like walking through my biological grandchildren. God has knit our hearts together. There's a legal process. And it is that he's a brother in Christ and we're a brother and sister in Christ. That's been legally done. Anybody else want to join the, our uh, family? God is so good in seeking us out and knowing what our heart's needs are. He is. Latch on to that. He's our Father. Verse 15, when we talk about God's mercy, we need to understand that our God is a merciful God. He is not an indulgent God. There's a difference between mercy and indulgence. And God, you know what that word means? It means to spoil your brat. Or it means to to give them everything that they want. You know what? A true father or grandfather will not give that child everything he wants. Everything he needs, he'll try to give him, but not what he wants. And that's the way our Heavenly Father is as well. God has no spoiled brats. Paul takes us back to Exodus 33:19. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, where Moses asks to see the glory of God. And God replies, no man can see my face and live. How did Moses get so bold to say, show me your glory, show me your face? And God says, no man can look in my face and see my glory. Katie and I have come to understand what that actually means. If we looked at God in our state, our human state, we would die. Not because God would, and you're gone, but because our joy capacity is not large enough to receive and understand the glory, the face of God. Yes, Adam could. He had no sin. He had the capacity. When God reached down in the earth and made him, formed him, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and first thing that Adam saw when he opened his eyes was the face of God. We don't have that capacity. But one day we will. One day we'll stand before him. We'll stand before him. And you know what? I don't think it'll be the same tune as the one that we sang this morning, but we'll tell the old, old story. We'll sing it, for there'll be a new song. And we'll know all the words, and we'll know all the harmony, and we'll sing it as one. That will be one glorious day. Verse 16, his mercy is not the result of our human effort of good intentions who wills 
and who runs, it says. In John 1, 12 to 13, interesting verse that I put together here. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but by God. We are chosen because of God's mercy and his love and our response to his call. Not because he just went through the whole crowd and said, you're in, you're out. That is not the God we serve. He looks at our hearts and he says, where is your heart? It's interesting with Pharaoh, which is mentioned in this passage. Pharaoh was given many opportunities, ten to be exact, ten opportunities to yield his heart. And then God hardened his heart. God waits. He's such a patient God, waiting for all to come to repentance. Repentance is like the doorway into his presence. And it means I put the sin behind me. I turn around and go God's way. His way is the right way. Pharaoh resisted. In fact, you know what? I was thinking about this this week. Pharaoh actually, in exact words, confessed his sin. He said, I have sinned, and I confess my sin to God. Pharaoh must have been a Christian. No, he hardened his heart. It says he hardened his heart. There's only three times that it says God hardened his heart. The other time says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. So there was seven times that Pharaoh actually hardened his heart. Three times that God hardened his heart right at the very end. And we need to be very sensitive about that in our own lives. And we also need to be very sensitive and pray for our relatives, our friends, our, the ones that we love so dearly that their hearts not be hardened. That's the old, old story of God's mercy and his love, his patience with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your justice and your mercy. We thank you for the fact that you wait and wait as the father waited for the son, the prodigal son, to come. And you never gave up. And Lord, we pray that for any here in this room who have heard this story before. We pray that this would be the day that they would receive this invitation from the Father, not to be a slave, not to be a servant, but to be a son and a daughter. And Lord, we ask that 
for those of us who have known you many years, perhaps, that we would be like Paul and like Moses. Lord, we pray, bring our son to you and his wife and his children. Lord, bring my friend to you. Don't let them harden their hearts. Show your glory and your power in their lives. Help me to speak the truth and to tell the story correctly so that they can hear. These are momentous days. And there is time. And so we ask you, Lord, that they not wait any longer, but that they come to you in repentance and in confession of Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Thank you for this gospel that you've given us to share. May we be as zealous as Paul in sharing this. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness and kindness, which endures forever. Amen.